0: Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I want to start this morning, if it's alright, by reading some words Uh, that Jesus spoke to his followers, they'll appear on the screen behind me. It says this in Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. I'm going to read the message version. It says, Are you tired? Worn out? Are you burnt out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with you and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I remember lying in my garden, uh, it was about two years ago, it was May 2020, and I read those words um, and like probably most of us had, I've read them before in a different translation. I'd kind of been through it. I knew the knowledge in my head, but something about this time just hit me like a ton of bricks, just smacked me across the face. Um, I was tired. I was worn out. It was um, a couple of months, I think, into COVID. So I was working like crazy hours in the hospital trying to keep number 11, which is the chariot I on a float. We were struggling with money. We were struggling with staff. We were struggling with pretty much everything. Um, and I realized there was just something that was wrong. You know, the Bible promises us this life life and this life to the full, this kind of life of joy, of contentment, this true soul rest, a life that's free and that's light. And I'm like, that just doesn't feel like life. That doesn't feel like my experience. I was always busy. Um, I was always tired. Um, I was normally quite anxious, normally wrecked with worry, um, probably most of the time about money, whether number 11 had enough funds, whether um, there was staffing issues and, and stress about and like that. And there was just stress and worry. And my experience did not match up with what Jesus said life should be like and I realized that kind of busyness the stress the worry that's so normalized in our culture it's also kind of very normal in the church we're just used to it we assume that is what life is like and I was trying to pray and I was trying to read my Bible and I was trying to do all that sort of stuff and I was just like this just isn't working I still feel rubbish what is going on there's this discrepancy this gap between what Jesus promises us and what I feel does anyone resonate with that at all just by way of nodding does that feel what life can be like sometimes? And today, um, as a church, you're going to start a new series. And I am absolutely buzzed about this because we've done it in Reddish. And it has been absolutely amazing. You know, we use um, the word life-changing far too much. I was talking to someone about my slow cooker the other day and telling them that it was going to change their life. Um, that was a lie. It was not going to change their life. Slow cookers is pretty great. Do get one. But it's not going to be as good as this stuff. Um, and in a nutshell... The series is focusing on following what Jesus is teaching, uh, following Jesus's practices, his disciplines, um, as a way of combating that tired, that worn out, that burned out life. But the key and the most important bit is seeing it as a training process. Um, And so today we're going to start with that. We're going to start by looking at Jesus, which normally I think when you preach is a pretty safe place to start. Uh, I think I'm doing okay there. Uh, And Jesus is many things. So he's the son of God. He's the Messiah. He's a carpenter, depending on uh, what we could give him a long list of names. But if you were a Jew, in the first century so about 2000 years ago the odds are you would know jesus first and foremost as a rabbi um, so in the gospel of the sort of 90 or so times that people refer to jesus about 60 of those times two-thirds they refer to him as rabbi so jesus is a rabbi which is a teacher um, and rabbis back in the day would travel around with what is known as their yoke so if we flip back to the uh, niv translation um, now a yoke was a piece of farming equipment But it was also a kind of idiom, really, for a rabbi's set of teachings, basically Jesus' way of doing stuff and doing life. Um, Each rabbi, there was many, many rabbis back in the day, they would all have their own followers called disciples. uh, And they would follow their teacher around and they would try and learn from them, learn from their yoke, their set of teachings, but also copy their life, try and become like them. Um, And there is a lot of stories about Jesus the rabbi. Let's start in Mark chapter 1. Um, where we see Jesus walking beside the Sea of Galilee, saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. When he'd gone a bit further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Let's skip on. We're going to go to Mark 2. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake, a Lord crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. And finally, we're going to look at Mark chapter 8. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? And I don't know if you notice a pattern in those verses that the the call from Jesus isn't come and believe in me and you'll go to heaven and it will be great. That will be cracking. Wonderful. That is not what Jesus says. He says, come, follow me. That's going to involve some denying of yourself, which probably isn't going to be the nicest and become a disciple. Now, the Hebrew word for disciple is Talmudim. Now, I don't speak Hebrew. I'm assuming many of us in the room don't speak Hebrew. So in um, most of our translations, the Bible changes this word to disciple, but we could also translate it follower or apprentice. And I think it's really important we get our heads around this word because it really changes the way we approach it. In 2023, as I'm sure many of you are aware, being a follower of someone, we don't really use disciple in common language. Follower is probably the more common word we would use. It means that we take an interest in something. Maybe you uh, follow a football team or you follow a particular person or a soap or a TV show. Um, It's basically taking a vague interest in something, which is probably not what discipleship meant in its original context. So just a show of hands, who likes a bit of history? a whole like half of you. Sorry to the other half, you're going to get bored, but I just want to dive into the world's quickest history lesson, if that's all right, to figure out what discipleship was. So discipleship was not invented by Jesus. That is the first thing to say. All rabbis back in the first century would have had their set of followers, their disciples. If you go back as far as Ancient Greece, you've got Socrates, he would have had followers. It's not a new concept. But in the first century, which is when Jesus was around, discipleship was the top level of the Jewish education system. So there were three levels, which make me feel very, very bad. But the first level was Beit Sefer. So up to the age of sort of 12, children from the privileged families, from the right backgrounds, they would go into this first level and they would memorise the first five books of the Bible. Now, hands up who has got the first five books of the Bible memorised. Already you're losing to a 12-year-old. Um, <laughs> So, after this, level one is done. Boys would go and apprentice under their dad in the family business. Girls would go into the family home. And most kids, even the the, the kids that were privileged enough to get into school, would be done at this point. But the best of the best would go to level two, which was known as Beit Talmud. Um, This was a school at the side of the synagogue. It would get all the teachers. uh, And they would go and they would teach these teenagers most, if not all, of what we now know as the Old Testament. OK, how many of you got that much of the Bible memorised? Still, we're, we're, we're losing to teenagers. This is disappointing. Um, and at that point, almost everyone is finished. Other than the best of the best of the best would become a talmudin. Now, this would involve going to an interview with your chosen rabbi and. Um, And he would grill you on your knowledge of the Torah, your knowledge of what we would now think of things like theology. Um, And if and only if he thought you were good enough, he would invite you to become his disciple. He'd say, "Okay, fair enough, Elizabeth, you've made the cut. You're in. Everyone else, they're out unlucky. But you've made the cut. You're in. You can be my follower, my disciple. It was very much for the best of the best of the best only. And let's say Elizabeth makes it. Sorry, Elizabeth, you were the first one in my line. Let's say Elizabeth makes it. Um, She has got now three goals. Literally, her life revolves around three goals. Number one, she wants to be with her rabbi. Um, Literally, 24-7. Follow them around, eat with them, sleep in the same place. There was a kind of phrase back then that said, may you be covered by the dust of your rabbi. Basically saying you're really blessed if you can spend a load of time with that person you can learn from. Um, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Secondly, you would want to become like your rabbi. So let's just quickly go back to Mark chapter one. Um, We see the invitation. I will send you out to fish for people. Now, hands up who reads that and just thinks it's a cheesy pun. Yeah, you think it, but you don't want to admit it. Thank you, Becky, for being honest. Um, We think that's just a cheesy pun. But actually, again, a fisher of men was an idiom for a rabbi back in the first century. So when Jesus is saying this... He's saying, I will send you out to become a fisher of men. He's essentially, I'll send you out. You can become a rabbi too. He is saying to these people, these first century fishermen who were the lowest of the low, you can become the best of the best. You can go from the lowest of the low to the best of the best. Come and follow me. I can show you this life in all its fullness. I can show you everything that it means to live a life of peace and joy and contentment. And I just want to pause there for two seconds to just kind of focus on that, because that is mind-blowing. We can quite easily forget it in our lovely kind of Western Christian culture. Um, But back then, if you were a first century fisherman, you weren't even good enough to start the education system. Your family wasn't from the right background. You wouldn't have even got into that first bit. Your life would have been dictated by the family, your status. And this man is coming around and he's saying, you, I'm going to offer you the chance to be the best of the best of the best, to have life in all its forms, to live a life of peace and joy and contentment. This is what is on offer to you. It's like offering, I don't know, a a kid who's not passed his GCSEs a full scholarship to Harvard uh, with a guaranteed income of a billion pounds the rest of his life in worldly terms. That's not what Jesus is promising. He is promising something so much better. He's promising the offer to kind of weather any storm, to find contentment in any circumstance. And when that is on offer, it is no surprise, as we read time and time again in those verses, they just get up. They leave their families. They leave their jobs. They get up and follow Jesus straight away because they recognise what is on offer. So for the half of you who didn't put your hands up, that's history lesson over. You can breathe. I'm sorry that's a bit boring, but I think it helps us. So let's go from first century Israel back into Heaton Moor in 2023. Um, You can see the word disciple back in Jesus' time was a little bit different to how we would use the word disciple or follower. Now, we probably think of ourselves as disciples. If we, you know, we believe in Jesus and we come to church, that's it, job done. But back then, it was a whole life orientation around following and apprenticing under your rabbi. So I think it's probably more helpful for us, a better modern translation, I feel, is apprentice. Because I think that more accurately captures what we're trying to do as Christians. We're trying to become like Jesus Um, and so what are our goals as apprentices of Jesus well it is the same as what they would have had back then under their rabbi so first goal is we want to be with Jesus now this is by a long way the most important but how do we do it because Jesus isn't physically here for us to follow around and eat with him and sleep with him and all those different things so what do we do Now, um, Jesus' explanation of how we do this is found in John chapter 15, um, where he talks about remaining in the vine. And I always find that language a bit meaty. I find it difficult to get my head around what that means. And I came across this quote that I love from a guy called Dallas Willard. Now, the language is a bit difficult, so we'll break it down a bit at the time. Dallas Willard says, how do we be with Jesus? He says this. The first and most basic thing we can and must do is to keep God before our minds. Now, we're going to look at that in a second, all the different ways we do that. Um, We sometimes know them as the spiritual disciplines or the practices of Jesus. Um, This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls, i.e. this is the best way to live. This is the way to life, to contentment, to peace, to joy. Um, Our part in thus practising the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. Next slide. In the early time of our practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God, which I think is a very kind way to put it. Have you ever sat and tried to read your Bible and your mind has gone somewhere else? Have you ever sat and tried to put in a new prayer regimen like, yeah, I'm going to get I'm going to try really hard. I'm going to pray really hard every single morning. I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. And you last about three days and then you're like, yeah, I'm done. This is not working. Have you ever tried to say, okay, you know what, I'm going to be more patient. I'm going to get better at this. And you try and you try, and then you just get distracted by something else. We focus on our burdens and habits, as he puts it, of dwelling on things less than God. And what happens when we get to those places, we're like, you know what, it doesn't work. I'm really anxious this week. I am struggling, and I've tried reading my Bible, and I've tried praying, and it doesn't work. And so we just assume, therefore, the system is broken. But what we don't realise, these are habits our inability to sometimes focus on those things, which I do every single day. I'm like, yeah, I want to know the peace and joy of Jesus. And then I go to work and I'm like, oh, that can change. It is not the law of gravity and can be broken. Final slide. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former one as we take intentional steps toward keeping God before us. Basically, it will get easier in time. Soon, our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north, i.e. that will become our new normal. You might be sitting here today really struggling struggling let's say with anxiety and you think that is the normal you think there is nothing you can do about that you have tried praying you've tried reading your bible you've tried coming to church you've tried doing all the things that we say at the front of church to do and it hasn't worked and you're still wrestling with that and you're like oh that's it and i want to tell you this morning i have been in that place i'm still sometimes in that place but i have seen that we can change It is not the law of gravity, it can change. And that is where I want to bring us to our most important concept this morning that it is not about trying really hard. That does not work. It is about training. Um, And to do that, I want to borrow Jamie, if that's okay, Jamie. Let's give Jamie a clap. Um, Come up. Now, they're 10 years old and sweaty. But I'm going to ask you to put my running shoes on, if that's all right, Jamie. Uh, Thank you very much. Uh, In 2013, I ran the London Marathon, which was one of the best and primarily worst things I have ever done in my life. Um, So I lost a significant amount of toenails. Uh, I think um, for those of you, I know some of you have run a marathon. The less said about chafing injuries, the better. Let's just not go there this morning. Um... It, it was not a fantastic time for me, I'm not going to lie. Um, but I got through it, I did it, it was, it, it was reasonably okay. Um, and as anyone who has run a marathon knows, it is all about training. So I want to take my friend Jamie here. Um, now, I have known Jamie for I think about nine years or so, so I feel like it's okay for me to say, to my knowledge, that like you're not unfit, <laughs> but you're not like fit-fit. <laughs> Would that be a... I'm looking at Millie. Where's Millie? Yeah, uh, I need some backup. Um, and so, Jamie, he is a great guy. He is absolutely amazing. But as far as I know, you're not a huge marathon runner. Is that correct? That's correct. Brilliant. What would happen now? We've put Jamie in the right shoes. We've dressed him up. What is going to happen now if we send Jamie out to run 26.2 miles? Anyone want to hazard a guess? He will collapse. He will collapse and die. Possible. Absolutely. I, I would back you to make like my old five i reckon you could pull that off like happily yeah, um i reckon you could get a reasonable amount of the way now what happened if we just told jamie jamie try really hard gonna make a difference i think it could make a little difference like i think sometimes if we we put a bit of effort into something maybe you could get to mile six before you collapsed and died like we could <laughs> go with that um i think it's possible okay controversial because we're in church what about if we prayed for jamie Everyone's gone very silent there. No one wants to answer. Anyone want to be brave? (laughs) So I'm going to say, and I'm going to say this confidently as maybe I'm going to get sacked as a site leader. Who knows? But I'm going to say, I don't think praying would make a difference in this circumstance. Now, I'm not saying I don't think God can. I think if God supernaturally wanted to give you the ability to run a marathon, he absolutely could do that, Jamie. But 99.99999% of the time, if you look in scripture, if you look at your own life, if you look at the lives of people around you, that is not how God chooses to work. You know, how often have we just sat there and like, oh God, I I just pray for patience right now. Just give me patience. And we just accept like a matrix style supernatural download into our heads. That is not how God often chooses to develop us. So I'm going to say trying hard might work a little bit. I'm going to say praying probably won't make much of a difference. what would make a difference i'm going to say we're going to put you through a training program so three times a week we're going to get you out running um we're going to do a bit of kind of long work a bit of short runs maybe a bit of hill work track work we'll mix it up a little bit uh, and then we'll start adding a mile to your longest run each week does that sound all right we'll maybe give you some weeks where we just tone it down a bit and chill out a bit and then we'll pump it up again and pump it up again what is going to happen in six to nine months time anyone want to give jamie a confidence boost Eight miles. <laughs> Yes, Adam Barrow. Um, I love you more than Adam Barrow does. I think you could run a marathon, Jamie. What we could do, if he tried, if he trained, Jamie can become the sort of person, despite what Adam thinks, don't let him speak that over you, despite what Adam thinks, Jamie could become the sort of person who can run a marathon. Now, right now, it is not in his capability to run a marathon. He cannot do it. Yeah, even if he tries really hard and even if we all gather around and we pray for him and say, oh yeah, Lord, we want to pray that Jamie can run a marathon. God can, but I'm prepared to bet that he won't. The only way Jamie is going to get to a place where he can run a marathon is he is going to train Jamie. I just, I don't know why I got you to put the shoes on, but thank you. Uh, I just needed a beautiful, let's give him a clap. Um, um, just thought a beautiful analogy next to me would be a... Be, um, be really helpful there that is how we do goal two of becoming apprentice okay we want to become like Jesus how we do that is we form habits we practice and we train and you might be sitting here saying what do we train in I do not know well I've got a slide here um, and these are what some people will call the spiritual disciplines others will call the practices of Jesus and our common reaction when we see a list of this is all rules legalism we don't want to touch this no and we panic a little bit because we're, we're Western and that, that's the way that we work. And we don't want any restrictions. We don't want rules. And that's not what this is. What I want you to think about is see these spiritual disciplines, perhaps of Jesus, wherever you want to call them, as essentially what short runs and long runs and hill work and track work are to running a marathon. They are what scales and arpeggios and playing three blind mice are to learning piano. They are the building blocks. They are our training regimen. Not because we have to. We don't need to do those things to be saved. That is to do with what Jesus has done for us. But what they are there for is they are there to open us up to the Holy Spirit. Often the biggest barrier in our discipleship is us. So let's say we're too busy because we're too, uh, let's add them. there's many things that we can juggle, whether that's work, whether that's church, whether there's a million other things going on. Jesus says, Sabbath, take some time to rest in silence and solitude. Why? Because it gets us out of our own busy heads. And focuses us back to Jesus let's say we're really um, stingy people let's say I'm really struggling to be generous I can't just sit there and pray oh God give me generosity and all of a sudden I become a generous person the way I do that is through practice being generous with my time my money and over time I become a more generous person maybe we're um let's take fasting you're overindulging in x or y or z and fasting is training us Not to focus on the things of this world, but to be ready and be dependent on Jesus. Each one of these things, they're not a goal in themselves. They are just ways that we open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's not about ticking rules or following boxes. It's just about a training program almost that we take from the life and the practices of Jesus that shows us how to open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit. And you may well be sitting there this morning saying, you know what, James, that's all well and good. But I've done this for years and years and years and I am still really anxious all the time. Okay, I have tried for years and years and years to get into a rhythm with praying and it just doesn't work. I can't do it. What I hear probably quite a lot as a site leader is, I'm just an anxious person. That is who I am. And I really want to say, if that's you this morning, that is not the law of gravity. It can change. I want you to think of Jamie. If Jamie went and ran 26.2 miles today, he would absolutely die. I will back you in that, Dana. He is going to die. Um, he's not going to manage it. And the same is true if we expect to just be at peace, to be full of joy, to be absolutely nailing it on day one. This is a training process. is it a journey. And will we see change? Will we see transformation? Absolutely, yes, we will. Um, over the coming months, we're going to call it some spiritual formation. That's essentially just a slightly more modern way of saying the word sanctification, which if you grew up in church, um, is essentially the process. And it is a process. It doesn't happen like that. We don't just pray for peace and joy and it just happens. It is a process of becoming more like Jesus. And as we change our habits, um, I have two whole sermons on this, uh, which we've gone through already, so we don't have time today. But as we change our habits, that changes what we think about. And then that changes what we love. The Bible tells us above all else, we guard our hearts and talks about renewing our minds. That is how we do it. As we change our habits, it changes our minds and it changes our hearts. What does that mean for us? It means over time we see less anxiety, more peace. We're less tired and burnt out, less selfish, more generous, less frustrated with people all the time, and more at peace. It is possible, it really genuinely is possible to change our character, change what we think about, change what we love, but that is a process. We're not gonna get to mile 26 on day one, but it is possible, and it's training. A little bit of time. The Bible talks about it a lot. I've not got time, unfortunately, to go into all of these examples, but in 2 Timothy, it talks about training righteousness. 1 Timothy talks about training ourselves to be godly. Romans talks about renewing our minds, but I think one of my favourite examples is in the book of Matthew. Um, so Jesus, at this point in Matthew's uh, gospel, was in Galilee and crowds were just desperate to be with him. They had seen all the good stuff he had to offer and they wanted to follow him. They were coming out in left, right and centre. Uh, and so he goes up on a mountainside, he sits down and he hits them with... Um, What is generally sort of seen as this core manifesto teaching, okay? We call it the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and it talks about everything. So you're talking salt and lie. He talks about love, adultery, prayer, the poor, fasting, judgment, where to invest your time, literally the full works. If you want to know how to follow Jesus, that is the kind of core three chapters of the Bible that sums up most of what we are trying to do. And he gets to the end of it. And it is really challenging stuff. There's a lot of really messy stuff about how life is there when we disagree and we fight and we argue a lot of messy stuff in there. And he says these words. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, i.e. does something about them, is like a wise man who built his house on the rat. But everyone who hears these words and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Um, and foolish in the Bible is quite an insult. It is literally like to around and say, you are an absolute idiot. Um, not my words, Jesus' words, just before you all hate on me. Um, but it is almost saying to us, if you hear this stuff, if you just come to church, you take part in community group, but you don't put this into practice, you're missing out on so much. You're missing out on that life and life to the full, that peace, that joy, that contentment. That is what I want for you, James. And you're being a fool. You're listening and you're not putting it into practice. And in short, that's what you're going to explore through the rest of this series. That's what you're going to be talking about in your community groups. Um, How do we train? And we've put some examples up there um, of ways that we can train. But all of these are just they're just ways to open us up to the Holy Spirit. When we're too busy, they're ways to slow us down. They're just ways of opening yourself up to that two way relationship because we cannot do it without the Holy Spirit, but he won't do it without us. And so goal one is be with Jesus. Goal two is become like Jesus. And goal three is to do what Jesus did. Let's say you're doing an apprenticeship in plumbing. Is your goal just to learn some stuff about pipes? I don't know if anyone does plumbing here. I know nothing about it. So please help me out. Um, But your goal is not to just learn some stuff about pipes or taps or whatever else it is that you do during a plumbing apprenticeship. Your goal is you want to be able to plumb a house. You want to do something with what you've learned. And in the same way our goal as apprentices of Jesus is, we don't just want to come to church and learn head knowledge. We don't just want to do stuff. What we want to do is learn to practice and live the way Jesus lived. That life to the full. And so as we draw to a close, I just want to look quickly again at Mark chapter eight to come back to the verses we looked right at the start. And he called the crowd along to him, along with his disciples. And he said, whoever wants to be my disciple. And I want us to note the invitation is to become a disciple, not a Christian. So the New Testament only uses the word Christian um, three times, I think. uh, And it's always in a negative context. Conversely, the word disciple is used 268 times. What is the difference? You might think it's simple semantics, but I think there's a mindset thing for many of us in the Western church that in a way being a Christian is about Jesus following us. It's about we'll use Jesus when we need him, uh, when we're sad, when we need a prayer answering and works difficult and X and Y and Z, but the rest of our lives will fit Jesus in and our faith in with us. And it's not a popular thing to say at the front of church, but this is a completely alien concept to jesus and the first century apprentices of him because back then following jesus is the focus of your whole life it's a training pathway it's 24 hours a day seven days a week absolutely everything and jesus says very clearly that is how we get the good stuff following him learning his way practicing his way that is how we find that lie to the fullness, not just more discontent or more burnout, because we're trying to come to church and we're trying to do the churchy stuff, but it just leaves us more tired, because it's more stuff in the diary, it's just more frustration, discontent, burnout on religion, as the text put it earlier, Jesus was like, this is how you do it, put it into practice, and in Mark 8, there's two groups of people that he separates, and it's not just Mark who does this, quite a few of the gospel authors, they, they draw a line between the crackwoods, And the disciples. Um, And when we're saying disciples, don't think about the 12, the 12 of the apostles. Jesus had thousands of disciples, men and women all over who followed him. And what we see Mark do, and many of the gospel writers, is they split them up. Almost to say, which group are you in? The crowd just coming along to listen, coming along to see the bits that are nice, the nice healings, the fun stuff? Or are you an apprentice? Now it's a really challenging place for us to end this morning. Um, but i 'm really excited, and the reason I am really excited is because we 've been through this over the last couple of months in reddish um, and it has been phenomenal um, i 've been working through a lot of this material for three years, and I started this process absolutely wrecked with anxiety all the time. I um, run a charity and I hate it most days i <laughs> 'm um, always worrying about money or staff or something along those lines um, And over the last couple of years, I'm nowhere near perfect, I'm a long way from perfect, but I have seen the difference. I'm less busy, I'm more content, I'm more at peace. I have days where I'm all over the shop and I'm wobbling again, but those days are gradually becoming fewer and fewer and further and further between. And I am seen firsthand in my life, in the lives of many of our congregation in Reddish, the difference that kind of just orientating our heads to a slightly different way of thinking of seeing our apprenticeship to Jesus as a training process. I've seen the difference that that has made. Um, I'm going to be very honest, it's slow, it's hard, it doesn't happen like that. It isn't a magical, oh yeah, all of a sudden I'm just at peace all the time. I wish it were that way and I assume we're going to be traveling this journey for the rest of our lives, but I'm excited for you guys as you start that journey, that journey to less anxiety, more peace. Less tired and burned out, more content, less frustrated, more patient, more joy. Who wants more joy? In fact, who wants more joy this morning? There we go. You can't say no to that one, can you? Um, And so as the the band come back up, um, Dana and and, and Adam, um, I think it's really powerful to just kind of practically just take some time to reflect and respond on this. Um, it's one of those kind of difficult messages that the answer really isn't to just sit and reflect and respond, it's to do something. Um, and so what I've done is I've stuck some bookmarks on all of your um, all of your chairs. Hopefully you've got one to hand. They look a little bit like this. Um, they do say CCM Reddish on because I didn't want to pay to print anymore, I'm so sorry. Um, and we had lots left over. Um, but the reason, um, reason we've stuck all these on your seats is just so that you can stick it on your fridge, stick it in your car, stick it somewhere that you're gonna see it regularly just as a bit of a reminder I just want to give you a couple of minutes as Dana and Adam kind of start to play just reflect on where are you at with Jesus where are you at in that training process are you on mile zero mile one mile five Um, and to be very honest it doesn't matter where you are because it's a journey and none of us are going to hit 26.2 miles in this life but what's next what is it that you look in that list and you think, actually, Jesus, I recognise I can train in this area. When I'm struggling with my anxiety, I know it's not going to be a quick fix. But I recognise training these things will slowly, as it changes my habits, it changes my thoughts and changes my heart. Jesus, I want to do this. We don't want legalism. None of this is about legalism. None of the, You don't have to do any of this. Jesus has already done it for you. This is about us together as a church trying to find a better way to live. And so I just want to encourage you, just have a couple of minutes of quiet, reflect. Um, and I want you to reflect on what are you going to do